Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. So we've got a returning guest, Sangeeta here. And one of your main reasons for coming back on is that you've just published a book on thriving in the analytics space. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, like a couple of weeks ago, it was launched. And yeah, it's a very interesting journey as a first time author. Uh, it is something it was on my to do for a while. And I finally got to do it. Gotcha. Okay, so so why? Did you go into this? Like, what's what's the kind of the the driving force behind that? Um, couple of reasons. Uh, one is like um, I'm a big reader to begin with. I mean, before becoming a writer, if you see in my back, there is like a bookshelf full of books. I really enjoy reading. So in a month, I'll read so many books, whatever, uh, fiction, nonfiction, both. Um, so one of the driving factors for me to write has been um, I started out, I mean, I have a master's in computer science, and then I moved more into like a coder, technical uh, coder kind of a job, like I was a doctorate programmer and so on. Uh, from there, I mo- my journey moved into like more into data in the last several years. I've been heavily focusing on leading data teams, data solutioning, and all those uh, aspects. So I have, I felt like when I'm seeing like new team members onboarded, somebody who wants to get into uh, data from a different transitioning, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people transitioning after COVID, they took that break and they're figuring out 
out maybe I want to give it a try. So those kind of people I work with um, before um, in my previous jobs, I did a portion of consulting kind of a roles too, where I have seen, I have gained a lot of uh, expertise, I would say, in to navigate to that landscape is not easy. It's not like one book or one course will help you. So I felt like there is information in different, different areas. And it's not like brought in together in a easy enough way for people to follow. So my motivation for writing was like to help uh, people to really not just land into a data job, but also once they land, there is like, what is the team dynamics? What are the things I need to know? So this book is not about any technology per se. Like, I mean, you can Google and learn. You have YouTube channels to learn. This is more like once you get a job, these are some of the fundamentals you should know. Like data storytelling is one of the areas I cover because that's not... I mean, communicating with data is an area I see many people struggle. They are good in the technical skills. When you ask them to demonstrate it, it's an area people don't focus as much. Gotcha. Okay, so is this what I'm hearing is that it's kind of like a, a career services take on things? A um, little bit and also my uh, version, because I do mention some of my uh, ways of doing, like a team structure is one chapter I cover, like, you know, where should really data teams sit? Because depending on who you ask, the answer may vary. And depending on the org, how big the org is, I work for, um, I'm in a perfect place, I would say, in terms of like, I didn't just work for Fortune 500 companies. I did work for like smaller uh, companies, consulting. So mm-hmm. I have like this uh, not-for-profit as well. So I have like a very varied experience. And everywhere you go, it's slightly different. Like where your data team sits is different based on the decisions are different, whether it's embedded into a functional area. Uh, so all those things make a huge difference when it comes to like how you would deliver what is the value your team is creating? So sometimes data team could become a cost center otherwise, right? You want to right. stay away from it. So, Gotcha. Yeah, because what I'm what I'm seeing is that it seems like there's this way over emphasis online about acquiring skills. It's skills, skills, skills. So it's like you're you're developing this powerful weapon, but you're not developing any type of judgment on how to like deploy that effectively. And I, I think that's that it's interesting because it seems like we're kind of moving in parallel here a little bit because that's, you know, I, I've been creating courses. I think I have 15 now online, maybe actually 17 at this point. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's, um, I almost start to feel like I'm dipping into like an ethical gray area because what, what people are doing, and I've, I keep seeing this over and over again, is that they take course after course, after course, after course, and they stack up like, Maybe they'll take all 17 of those courses. And I don't necessarily think it moves the needle in terms of getting them a job. I think maybe one or two courses is enough for you to get kind of a, a grounding in SQL or Power BI or Tableau. But then you need to go and start you know, analyzing and building a portfolio. Um, but it sounds like what this book is going to help you with is to navigate your career more effectively and kind of give a behind-the-scenes look of, well, I love what you're talking about with um, – so chapter three is finding the right mix for your analytics team. I think even if, you know, that that sounds like it might be a little bit more um, geared towards managers, but even someone trying to get an analytics job might actually benefit quite a bit from understanding, okay, well, this is the perspective of an analytics manager. Here are the key roles that they need to fill. 
Uh, actually, uh, to add on to your point, you're totally right. I mean, it's not just uh, for, that chapter can be used. Uh, so that is my audience, right? Like either you are right into trying to uh, make a way into a data job or you're more like at a manager level or above. Uh, where not only the staffing from a perspective, if I have to deliver this, what kind of team I have to put together, that chapter a manager can use. But even for other people who are trying to get a job to understand different flavors, because many times, the, uh, I mean, there is so much of media buzz with data scientist kind of roles. So everybody wants that title, right? So it's like, oh, I would like to be a data scientist. So I try to lay out in very layman terms, like what every role does and what are the key strengths in every role is expected to be successful. And in that chapter, I try to tell that it's not like a fancy title alone. It's something like a judgment call for yourself, because somebody may think you're excellent in this, but nobody else other than yourself feel that way, then it's a problem, right? So if if you go through that chapter, you can kind of feel like which kind of a role will be a better fit rather than just a title. Maybe I'll fit in this before reading the book. Maybe I will fit in into something else after reading the chapter. Gotcha. Oh, we got it. Michael, welcome. I'm glad that you could uh, join the live stream. So we're uh, we're just live streaming on, on LinkedIn today instead of YouTube. So I think we may have some less comments than usual. Um, but we're going to start putting our short form content on YouTube and long form content here um, just to help kind of um, get more LinkedIn engagement. But um, the term judgment, I want to kind of anchor down on that a little bit because I think that that is something that is extremely important. And if you look, if you zoom out and you look at the, you know, if you have a 30-year career, that is the single most important thing that's going to be the difference between you, you know, becoming a senior analyst to a manager to maybe even VP or C-suite executive role. Um, what are your kind of, what are your thoughts on, on judgment? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Um. Judgment uh, is very important from a career perspective. It's like even in personal life it is, but I'm just going to stay with the professional front. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say that the course, any course, any online course you learn can teach you 
uh, whatever, right? If you have the right attitude and the aptitude, it's not like so difficult. And in today's world, there are so many ways. I mean, even 15 years ago, if I see, there was not that many YouTube channels. There was not that much of online content. You have to really sit with a book and that's how we all <laughs> had right. to do. Like even a couple of years ago, not even going back like 15, 20 years, maybe even five, seven years, the content has really grown up a lot. But judgment, why I mention is sometimes uh, that is the key factor, right? When you're delivering on projects too, because um, from a perspective, even if you're sitting with business stakeholders, you're talking to them. It is not like to go with a technical perspective and say, oh, I know my Tableau. I know my whatever tool you're going to use and feel like, okay, this is what you're not like. uh, We're not really like gathering just requirements. We are having a judgment in every aspect, meaning the unspoken, right? You're trying to figure out, like, maybe if I tell them that this is maybe a better solution for them, that judgment call is needed even in that aspect. And in your professional career too, meaning um, you take up a role and it is like, you know, sometimes you have outlived that role. That happens to some people too, right? Where it is like, oh, it's not just a number of years, but you're not challenged enough. You're not getting what you should. And even my personal story, like, um, I primarily worked in more like a full-time kind of roles. I, a couple of years ago, I made a conscious decision to try to see the other side to do more onto like a data consulting kind of role. I worked in the job for like about three and a half-ish kind of years. And then I went back to a full-time role. So it is more like a judgment call for yourself, meaning Maybe I wanted, in my case, I wanted that experience, but I wouldn't say everybody should follow that path, right? That is why I use the word judgment. What your personal aspiration is, what you want to do is an answer you should constantly um, evaluate rather than just going with the bus and say, everybody is becoming uh, doing something with machine learning, with AI. Maybe I should get a job in that. Uh, maybe that is not your core skill, or maybe it is. <laughs> so, right. See, that's, that's what's interesting is um, I, I have only been consulting independently. So when you said you were consulting, was it just you getting paid like 1099, you finding projects to work on? Uh, no, actually not an independent consulting. Um, actually, I went to a company which is more of a consulting uh, solution provider. So gotcha. they had several clients. So that gave me an opportunity to work with a very different, because when, when you're in a full-time role, you're a team structure, <coughs> right? Meaning uh, in a team, I mean, whatever projects are delivering, it's a very different experience, which I had a lot of it. Uh, there is a plus and minus to both. And it is, again, uh, what you like. But in a consulting role, it kind of gave me an exposure to working with multiple clients at the same time uh, to really evaluate the priorities of different orgs, right? If you're in a full time, you will see mostly your company, what they're doing, your team. But here, you're kind of, depending on the level of consulting you're doing, you may mostly have exposure to multiple clients at the same time, which, which is added value. Right. I, it, there does seem to be a completely different mindset. So when you're working with a big company, which I've never done other than I've interned for six months, um, when you're working for a big company as an analyst, you're part of the overhead. So it's a little bit more nebulous to where, um, when I'm consulting, they are investing in me and they're looking for an ROI immediately, or like, they're looking like, okay, this is a line item for us. And is this a center of costs? Or is this a center of value? And then I need to like, 
make at least, you know, within that first month or so of consulting with them, we need to rack up a win for them to continue my base retainer. And I think yeah. that's a really solid strategy. Um, even if you're working full time, maybe picking up some up some work on Upwork or Fiverr, because those are some great stories you can tell that you can bring into your next interview. Uh, I worked with this. I mean, it's just a pretty clean use case. It's like I worked with this company. Here was the data. Um, here's how much they paid me. Here's the value that came out. So you can very quickly um, just quantify the impact of the work you've done to where being like a an analyst managing a reporting system, you, something might fix or something might break and you fix it. And it's like, well, that's it's not nearly as compelling of a story of going out and finding like a new insight. Yeah. So, and to add on to your point, it is more like um, just staying with like one kind of, I mean, some people like it, it's fine. Like they work only for very large companies, right? And maybe that is how their career works. Uh, but what I see for myself is like, I have worked in companies of varied size. So I do know like how from a budget perspective, everybody is different. Some things are expected. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter. They may call you a data engineer in a very small org. It's not like um, so much like you will not just be doing that one particular role because they don't have like enough staff. Right. And that is why the word judgment is very important even again, because when you're taking a role, it is very critical for you to think this is an industry I like to work. And also based on the organization, you need to fit into the organizational culture too, right? It's not just knowing the tools. And that's why I feel like sometimes if there is not a much of a cultural fit, uh, people struggle no matter how right. good you are technically because you will not fit in with their ways of doing, right? So, mm -hmm. all right. So, we got a question from chat here. Um, Teja is asking, or Teja, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Um, so, what do you need to do to get a full time job in analytics? I guess that's a pretty solid question to kind of start, and then we can kind of riff on top of that moving forward. Um, I would say uh, one of the things is like keep applying. <laughs> That's right, yeah. the bare minimum, right? Um, I would say like um, one of the things I noticed working for consulting versus a full-time role is consulting is more like project-based, uh, project meaning I'm delivering this particular aspect. A mm. full-time role is more like a more like a long-term, like a roadmap, right? So that is something very important uh, to figure out. Are you a person who likes to do and you get satisfaction with like, oh, I delivered this in three months. And so to get a full-time role, your focus should be more of like a, long-term goals, like what you can add value to the team, whether um, management is something you would like to consider, like, will you like to build the team as such? So those things, if you, if that is your strength, and if you work on those aspects, I think that will kind of make your way towards getting uh, more into a full-time role. All right. So I, it's funny, I almost have like a, a stock answer for this. And it's, it's almost like a LinkedIn post. So my take on this, and let me let me know if you disagree or if you have mm -hmm. things yes and or add on to it. Um, so hard skills get you the interview, soft skills get you the job, and then judgment gets you the promotion. <laughs> you think that's pretty, that's pretty you think that's pretty like neat and tidy right there? Yeah, that is very condensed version of what right. I mentioned. And uh, one word of caution is 
I have, in my experience, I have seen people who have done consulting for a very long time, like five, 10, whatever number of years, they move into full-time just to regret and they go back. So that is also something to watch out for. It's not, sometimes it's like you have gotten used to something so much for so long. Uh, maybe that is what your sweet spot is. And sometimes you just feel, oh, I would do better in the other area, but maybe not always the case. Gotcha. You know, actually, um, what, what, so, okay. So we launched an analytics apprenticeship program over the last, um, six months. And it's, what's cool is we just got, um, so my intern Hunter, I guess Hunter's not my intern anymore. He's my employee Hunter just (laughs) compiled the data. Um, and we placed quite a few people in jobs. And what's wild is like three, four, maybe five of them didn't even have the skills they just interviewed really well to get that first job. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, so you, you have hired people, right? For your teams. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Wait a bit. <laughs> have you, how important, especially for, I think we're talking about like entry level. I, I So uh, with this question, I'm assuming if he's asking how to get a full-time job, I'm assuming it's the context is that it's an entry level job, but maybe mm-hmm. he is a consultant and he's trying to get a senior job. But for the, you know, kind of for the context of this question, um, getting an entry level job, like how important is skills to you as a hiring manager? Um, I would say uh, more than uh, skills, the logical thinking aspect is more important. I mean, at least from my interview, I wouldn't trust like, I mean, I have had like uh, people who where the roles expected them to know a certain level of SQL, even though it was entry level. But for me, I approach it like if I'm giving you a question and you approach it the right way, your syntax is not so good. I really don't care because you can Google, you will figure it right. out. It's fine. But thinking aspect that logical. So if I give you come to you and say in an interview, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. And if you know how you can break it down and how you can answer, I'm fine with it. But so skills are important to some degree. I mean, at the end of the day, you want them to deliver. Right. So it's not like. They don't know anything, but at the same time, there has to be a balance. If your thinking is good enough, and also sometimes people move from tools too, right? From one technology to another. So that is totally fine. If you have done so much of time in one of these technologies, and then you want a job in a different one, um, it's fine as long as you can explain that, okay. So we kind of, as a manager, will expect like there is a learning curve with this person, and it's totally fine. A bit of learning curve. Okay, so this is this is provoking a question in my mind. Okay, so for entry level, what I'm hearing is that the skill gap is it's okay to have somewhat of a skill gap if you can overcome that. But what about let's say you you've worked three to five years as a Power BI developer? Do you think that you could apply for a senior Power BI developer job, or do you think that they would want that background? Because my understanding is that senior roles, you need to be able to hit the ground running day one. Um, I would agree to that statement because what the answer I gave was more for an entry level because in a right. very, very entry level, it is kind of expected, right? Like, I mean, somebody mm-hmm. went to school, whatever, they learn some of the technologies, that's right. But if it is a very critical role right. where you have to hit the uh, road running day one, obviously there is not much of a bandwidth I have to give them to say, oh, you can learn 
little bit, but that still doesn't mean that you will not consider uh, somebody who is very good at that. Because some, and I, when we say learning curve, everybody's learning curve is different, right? We, right? we all don't learn at the same pace. So if somebody can show that they are a fast learner, they have been able to deliver quickly on those aspects. And sometimes you do your homework too. So if you take a new role, which is in a different technology, you kind of are pre- much more prepared in that interview. You won't go like, oh, I know Power BI only and the job I applied and the interview I got is totally in a different area. And you go to an interview and you're like, oh, this is the skills you're looking, but I don't have any experience. That doesn't happen often, right? If, especially if you're a mid-level or somebody. Right. You're prepared, you've done your due diligence to really ramp up like a little preparation, little homework to get that new technology. Oh, yeah. That, you know, it's funny because now that I'm, I'm thinking about it is if you, what you could do is just recreate a lot of your tablet. If you're going from Tableau to Power BI, just go yeah. and start recreating your... Tableau work in Power BI interface, yeah. and then you could that you could kind of get out ahead of that question. Exactly. Um, so that's what that preparation helps. So that's why I wouldn't hold. And also, this happens with many companies, right? A company may hire you with some skills, and then they may think, okay, I don't want to use this tool. So that is why I'm. I don't think like that. Most of the places I have worked, also, it's very tough to just hold somebody that. This is the only tool, unless it's a very, very like in a three month, I have to deliver something that's very off. And for that, most of the times you won't be hiring a full time person. It would be like a consultant doing it. So otherwise, I would say skills by itself, the tools, you know, matter to some degree, but not the only way. Yeah. And that's a trap that I see a lot of people fall into is that they over identify with a specific tool. So when I first, you know, I went, I looking back on, I, so I took my last internship and turned it into my first consulting client and I've never worked full time since my, you know, my internships and my MBA, mm-hmm. which is probably not the wisest thing to do. Usually you work for 10 years and come back and consult. So I just, yeah. I was really stressful and I had to like literally figure things out or it's like, if I don't figure this out, I'm not going to get paid, which mm-hmm. hyper stressful, but I grew a ton because I had that forward momentum. Um, but when I first started out, I identified as I'm a Tableau consultant or a Tableau specialist. Mm-hmm. And that is such a dangerous mindset because number one, it limits your pool of opportunity because there's Looker, there's Power BI. And if you only know this. Especially in the BI space where there are tons and tons right. of tools. Then I, I started to kind of re-identify myself professionally as I'm an analytics expert. And then that opened up quite a few things because then it's we could talk about data governments. Um, we could talk about visualization. We could talk about, you know, all all the different things within the data stack. And what's interesting is I didn't actually, I didn't know how to, I don't know how to code, but I do have people within my network that I can outsource those uh, sections of the project to. So I could mm-hmm. help them put put a team together. Um, but yeah, I think that it's, I, I get why people fall into that trap. Cause like, for example, Power BI and Tableau both have really great learning communities. And I think you get enmeshed in that and then it becomes like, okay, well, this is my family. And it's like, well, that might, that probably feels good. And you do, you know, you do want that support, but like, but don't let that loyalty limit your overall career trajectory. Yeah, because, you know, that is kind of expected because if there is a tool you use on a daily basis, you are very comfortable with that particular tool, right? Because that is the tool of your choice. Uh, But over time, 
it is an evaluation is that the only uh, tool I'm going to remain with for the rest of the time, right? I mean, you have to kind of evolve with time. So tools change, technologies change, and you should be prepared. If you work in tech, tech space, you need to be adaptive and um, move on. Gotcha. All right. So Faith has asked this question twice now. So let's, let's get on it. So I'm currently taking the Google Analytics course and I concluded the fourth course. Is it advisable I start applying for internships to help practice the little skills I've acquired? If yes, how do you go about presenting myself and the skills I have? I think that's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can go with that. So I'll just kick it off to you. I'm just reading the question. Yeah. So yeah, so they, she took a course and now start applying for internships. If you go about presenting myself and the skills I have. Um, so you took a course, but uh, what I, I'm going to say is like, um, are there any kind of industries? See, it's like once you finish a course, it's not like you can go and apply completely, right? I mean, you have to still have narrowed it down to like the kind of industries you like to work for or uh, what kind of projects you may like. And then whatever course you took, try to apply that knowledge find something. Like it can be a small project, small uh, problem solving, but find a problem you, which you can identify and at least do that much due diligence. So you can, when you go for an interview, you can say that, okay, I took the course is a check. Nowadays, everybody has it. Everybody has a certification. Everybody has finished some course. So I would say, try to find a problem in the kind of industry you want to work in so that you can kind of say that, okay, when you go for an interview, you have some kind of um, knowledge to say that I applied. The application part is the most important. Taking a course is good, first step, but you should be able to apply what you learned. And that, how do you evaluate, especially if you're so new? The only way to, for me, that is how I think. I can read, I can do whatever, but once I start doing it myself, I kind of remember it better. And I also feel confident that I can answer the questions. Okay. So this is chapter five is make an ROI from data analytics or make ROI from data analytics a reality. So this is what, what you're hitting on here. Yes. Uh, because um, otherwise, if there is that problem mindset is not there, it is not like you will be like learning every tool and try to code something, try to solve something. They should. So that is uh, something important even for an entry-level kind of a person, right? Where you can say, if you go for an interview, it is more like you have to be able to say that this is a course I took, but I also applied that, and this is a problem I can solve because of that. But if you just take a course and start applying for internships, you will not be able to answer that application part. You will just say that, I know these skills, I can help you with that, but there is no background, there is no real work to it. Right. So it's the skill is the input. The output is the economic value. And I yes. think people completely miss that. They, that, they see, yeah, yeah, they see the tool as the end and it's like, okay, I know this tool now so I can go and do the job. It's like, I mean, you, you can click the buttons and you can build the dashboards maybe and the charts and the um, connected data sources, but there needs to be that level. And I, I feel like the judgment is the, um, kind of the buzzword of this episode, like, you need to be able to deploy it with some wisdom so that it actually drives, like you, you need to understand like what game is being played. If it's sales, you know, what are my top line sales dollars? What's my deal size? How many customers have we gotten in? 
Uh, is this changing? You know, uh, is this lower than what it was last quarter? You know, what's our quota? Like w- these are all different kind of pawns on the chessboard, so to speak. And you need to figure out, okay, well, the data can help me make that next move. That that's what I'm seeing is completely missing right now. Yeah, it's tools, 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 tools. Tools, tools, and, and also <laughs> when you see, and that is for a reason, right? When you look at like online courses and everywhere, there is a, first of all a lot of tools. Like everybody is talking about tools, and then once people finish one, so if you if you will say like, okay, let me learn SQL, I mean, then okay, let me learn advanced SQL, and then there is not like a six month course will teach you everything about SQL, no matter what that course says, because the application aspect is very important. I've done SQL quite a bit in my um, career and there is no course in six months can teach you every concept. I mean, yeah, you can go through the pages and you can understand it. Doesn't mean you will have that application aspect. So that is why the focus is very heavy on getting, especially in Python and everything, people want to learn all these tools. Um, So that is why in my book, I stayed away from tools so much. So the book doesn't speak uh, or say that, oh, you have to learn this tool none of the chapters speak that way because that is something a choice like okay i like this tool i'm going to learn this and some core tools are needed to get a job agreed but other than that that aspect of value so that is why i dedicated a chapter for roi because for enforcing that people need to start thinking in that way and that is what i would um answer that question as like yeah you took a course that's a very good first step but try to find a problem and apply it. And that is the real value you got out of your course. And that is what you can use it in the future. Gotcha. Have you heard um, of the concept called the Red Queen Theory? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> so the, there is a character in Alice in Wonderland where she says, I'm, I'm running as, the Red Queen says, I'm running as fast as I can just to stay put. Okay. That is the phenomenon that goes on with tools. And I understand kind of from a business writer perspective, why you chose to focus on principles and not tools. Cause you could write that book. You could spend a hundred hours writing that book. And then next month, power BI is going to update and it's going to be slightly wrong to where what you're, you put into this, this book are kind of pillars or, you know, foundational principles that are somewhat evergreen. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I think that people just, they get caught in that trap where they're just running and running and running and running. And they feel like they're like, Oh, I'm putting all this input in. I'm, I must be growing. It's like, well, I don't, not really. Like you need to, there, there's some deeper foundational things like, like having an ROI. Cause then, well, if you start adopting that mindset, you start learning about business and the intersection of business and data. Then you start racking up some wins. Then you can quantify that, put that on your resume run those stories through the star methodology so you can interview better. And then it just completely just takes your career in a much higher upward trajectory. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's like this, um, the shining object kind of uh, yeah. concept, right? I mean, that's the same thing you explained. It's slightly different because people, every time, the, especially people who are doing BI space, because that's really, really has so many tools. 
people learn one tool, then they're they're happy with that tool, but they're like, okay, next tool. So this tool, I mean, you, you cannot say that this tool is better than that because it the answer depends. This tool may have a strength on one area, the other tool may have a strength on some other area, but people kind of lose that mindset over time sometimes, and they just think, I have to learn these three, four tools, and they keep on catching up. So that is the same thing you mentioned, where it is like you're running as fast as you can, but you're still wondering why I'm not getting much value because you're not taking that step back to say, okay, I have at least done one tool very clearly. So now I understand. So now I know how I can solve a problem. It doesn't matter if you can solve a problem. There are some tools which are maybe slightly better than others for some degree, but if you figured it out how to solve, you can kind of figure it out using any tool. That's my message I wanted to mention in my book too. Like it is that mindset. Once you develop that, it doesn't matter what tool you are given. I agree that there are some tools which will have limitations, which will stop you from doing something, but that is the minimum. That's not the major problem. Gotcha. Okay. So chapter seven or chapter six, um, is why do you need data literacy? I feel like I've, I've, I've heard that term thrown around a lot and I'm not even quite sure I know what that means, which, you know, enlighten me. <laughs> what is data literacy? Some people will even say that, oh, do, should we, because there is some discussions going on, like whether we should use the term data literacy. Uh, doesn't matter what we, word we want to use. Uh, what I mean is like uh, working in any organization, it's, um, you can invest in the technical aspect. You can get the fancy tool. You can have the infrastructure done. You can have all those aspects. But after that, if people don't want to use anything which you built, it is it is not going to drive right. any benefit. So the data literacy part is more like if you take an organization, and this is very important, especially because not every company is a tech company, right? It's not like all big tech companies. Uh, there are a lot of companies which are not technology companies, but they still invest in a lot of digitalization and so on and so forth. So it is not just investing in tools, but making the making the overall organization literate, meaning like I know what exists in my company. I know how to use it. I think from a data perspective. So that empowerment has to come in a shot, able to read and write. I mean, if you ask the definition, you can Google it. There are so many different definitions for it. Uh, so my book uh, talks about why it is important and also how to get there. There is not like something, a training. So for some people, it feels like, oh, I will have a data literacy training. I'm done a check. And then I can say I'm a data literate person. That is not how it works. Uh, data literacy is a journey. So the book talks about how to go with that journey. Um, and also what are the steps? Um, and one interesting area I try to cover in my book is how data governance and data literacy can go hand in hand. Uh, because that is an area somewhat missed sometimes because governance is not like sitting as a silo, there is a data literacy aspect to it. So the chapter talks a lot about uh, those relationship as well. Okay. So something that I have quite a bit of experience on is getting executives to buy in on projects. Mm -hmm. And I think that data literacy plays into this. And because you said something about not, you know, maybe sitting down and having a training on what is the data and how is it useful. 
they're just going to fall asleep. And also too, they're probably not even going to come because their time is so expensive and valuable. So what I've noticed kind of, and I've developed this over the last six years is I get them to start playing with the dashboards. And then that, then what's interesting is, so I come up with the initial prototype and then show them something new and an insight that's worth, you know, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars just right off the gate. And then that starts to spark this creativity of, Oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize that would happen. Well, what about this, this, and this? Then we, then it's kind of like we're, we're getting to play back and forth. And I think that is so much more effective than, you know, me getting up and presenting a, a slide deck and saying, here's your data. Like, I, I think there's a certain almost uh, performativity. I guess it kind of falls into storytelling as well, but yes. I guess it's almost like interactive storytelling now. It's like, you can participate like here. I, I'm, I can give you kind of this, this lead on this. Here's, here's some, something interesting. And then that might spark a new idea for them. And that might lead to the next insight. Yeah, totally. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, like a financial literacy, right? Like just making money is not going to get you anywhere if you don't know how to manage it, how to save it, how to invest it, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So it is a similar concept. And especially there is so much data. And data literacy to me is not just in professional lives, even personal lives, right? Uh, it's like there are so many data-driven apps now. And uh, now most of the gadgets you have in your house are could connect to a Wi-Fi. So right. overall understanding of data is very critical in today's society. It doesn't matter whether it's professional, personal life. So the, the chapter covers those aspects like to see from the lens, like, and also organizational. So the chapter basically talks a lot about how to get uh, organizations to, how to empower them, um, how to bring them along. So just not from a technical perspective, culture change as well. So the chapter talks a lot about the culture aspect as well. Gotcha. Okay, so chapter eight is a sneak peek into advanced analytics. So is it what is that talking about, like machine learning and all this kind of more advanced stuff? Or uh, you, that is more like it. Uh, it is more like you know all the advanced concepts. There is like a several um, small small sections it has to just say that. You need to know this, this, this. So it's more like a checklist because the assumption is you don't necessarily know RPA. I will tell one aspect of it. RPA is a thing because many people don't even know when they hear the word RPA. They don't know what is RPA. So those kind of things it talks about, like, you know, just not from a data. So these are other areas also. It is better for you to have a knowledge about. So that is what the chapter is about. Gotcha. Okay, so it's funny, I'm jumping from the last one to the first one. So chapter one is the ever-changing data data ecosystem. So you want, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that chapter uh, talks about like um, how it, over the time so much has changed in data. So it's more like, a not like a history, I would say. It's not so much of a history. Rather, it talks about like big data, small data, and also it uh, highlights one of the areas where to many people, big data means only like volume. Let me just keep collecting volume. I try to emphasize that, you know, when you're learning through, it's big data doesn't mean like just the volume. It is like the quality of data too, right? Because you may have tons and tons of data if you cannot use it. And if it is not mm -hmm. something you can trust, yeah, you can call it whatever you want, big data, but it is maybe your small data set may provide more value if it is more complete 
and more um, clean, basically. So that is those are the aspects I'm trying to steer the conversation in that direction so that people start thinking from that perspective because there is big data is a very big buzzword, right? Everybody talks about it. So that chapter talks about like um, that and also how privacy laws change because when you are thinking about data, it's not just the technology aspect. You have to also think like what from a privacy standpoint, what is acceptable use of data? So that chapter talks about that as well. Gotcha. Okay, so the big buzzword right now is chat GPT. Do you think oh. that's going to be uh do you think that's gonna completely change the ecosystem that we're that we're looking at? <laughs> I'm even on LinkedIn, I'm seeing so many posts uh, about that. Uh, it is like a fancy thing, I would say. Everybody is trying to create a prompt, write a prompt, and try to see how it answers. Uh, that is relatively new. We have to give it some time to kind of mature. One thing is it has been, first of all, very successful. Uh, for right now, it is like a free uh, thing. Anybody can use it. Right. Uh, but at some point, that is something I already started uh, thinking in that terms, like it it's not going to be free forever. So, I mean, so it has to have a revenue stream for itself too, right? So that is an unknown. I mean, will it remain in this status forever? Because this is more like a beta testing, I would say, where it is good for the tool also. Aren't they literally so training the on, model? They're training the model with all the people training coming the model. In. And if you think about it, you're getting a lot of testers right now they're saying this is good or this is bad this is bad because you can ask like you know you can ask questions like i asked it because i was playing with it myself too it is a fun area so initially i asked it a question how many letters are there in the word 18 it didn't answer me right so when it came back and i said no uh and then i corrected it and then it came back and it said, yes, you are right. And then I tried to trick it. And I said, again, a wrong answer. That answer, so it already kind of figured out. The next time it answered me, it said, no, it has. So it told me the right answer. So it was very funny. Initially, when I asked the question, it didn't know how many, which is a very fundamental thing, like how many letters are there in the word 18? I spelled the word, put it in quotes, and I asked. It replied it wrong. And then it corrected it. So yeah, they are using the data to train. And also you're getting so many users to test your product. It's a very good thing, right? When you roll it up. But going forward, will it be free forever? And also um, how it is going to shape that they have to build a revenue stream too. So we'll see how what happens. Oh, I guess um, let me be a little bit more clear. So what I am, I guess the fear is is that this is going to come in and it's going to replace a lot. It's going to be kind of like how, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a technology that completely put people out of a job. Um, Like, is is this, because I I did see a a video that was really, really interesting where um, a lawyer said, hey, I've got a client. I need them to write out a contract for uh, using uh, California guidelines for this. And it went in and and wrote it pretty, I think it was like 98% accurate. So that Mm -hmm. might just be a mass extinction in um, just knowledge work. Like, cause that that's been kind of the new thing is, you know, this gig economy kind of figuring out these problems. I I have a a thought on it, but I'm kind of curious. um, Do you think this 
is going to replace a lot of lower level analytics roles? Um, I I don't share that sentiment yet. Like a lot of roles it will replace, but this will definitely augment, right? Like it will supplement. Like you can okay. ask this thing a question like to troubleshoot your um <clears throat> to troubleshoot basically like you know a piece of code you can say and it will tell you okay this seems to be wrong because i tried playing with it like i gave it a python code and i tried to figure out whether it comes back and tells me uh so that i think it will supplement uh but one thing um to notice is like uh, right now it is trained with using a lot of data which was primarily written by people right so going forward uh, we have to see like what happens, like because now there will be a lot of people using this to generate whatever they want to generate. So that also will become a source. Will there be a distinction? A human generated it versus a machine generated it? We we don't have enough. It, it was just released a while ago. We don't have enough information. But I see it as yes, this will definitely supplement in terms of like some. And also uh, based on the use case, right? Because this, you can use it for like, if you're writing some kind of an article, people may start using it. So those things will happen because this will be a helper, little helper for you. Yeah. Well, okay. So there are multiple things that are, are kind of cooking in my head. And I just wanted to like throw them out there and kind of talk to someone about this. Um, the first thing is I'm not so sure companies are going to be, you know, quick to let AI come in and study all their data. Cause that feels like a huge risk exactly. for them, right? So that the adoption in the analytics space is probably going to be slow. But number two, I mean, think about a company's data system and all of the quirks and the oddities that are in that versus California contract law. All of that is written and bylaws. It's all very concrete. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my mind's saying that's a closed system versus an open system, but I may be completely like misunderstanding what the concept of that, but so I mean, it's the contract law is written in stone. The AI can come in and read it and synthesize yeah. it and then say, oh, you know, here are the inputs, apply this framework, bam, output. And I mean, I think that's a lot of what, I mean, I, I literally just used a lawyer to get um, employee contracts done literally last month. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's because, like, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to add like, yeah, you are right. Because like something which is like available out in the open is available, right? Proprietary right. thing is not openly available. So it's not like proprietary stuff it can be trained on because that is going to be a struggle. So that so that is why it, I don't see it as like a complete replacement. But yeah, people will definitely be starting to use. And let's see in the next several months how it shapes in terms of like, what do we will we start having like a licensing model on that i mean or will it be free forever we don't right. know we'll see yeah it is just interesting because that that feels like um a huge shift like a, just a huge like um although i don't know it could be that i'm just like listening to youtube videos where people are overhyping it you know like i it's it, I try not to think about it because like some, some people are like real doomsday about it. They're like, this is the end of humanity. <laughs> the machines yeah, are going to come over. Come take it's, over. It is very simple, right? You just have a text and you can type anything. It tries to answer you something. And obviously you try to test it. Like, you know, try, is it right? Um, so I tried playing with it too. So I asked it uh, to put together an itinerary for a travel. Like, 
give me a three-day itinerary for whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And first, when I asked it, it gave back, these are the places you can see, whatever. And then I asked it, okay, can you give me with the time? Like, so it even said nine o'clock, do this. 11 o'clock, do go here. So it in a new place, in a new city, it kind of gave me choices, what I can eat, what I can do. So that's pretty cool. You can use it as like a, instead of Googling different sites and figuring out where you should go, what are the places you should see, it kind of put together an itinerary very fast for me just by asking, okay, give me by this. So there are some things which it will, because it has all this data it has trained on. So there are, so that is the hype part of it. But it is very short period only we have tested it. So it's tough to really comment like, whether it will completely take over or not. But yeah, it will supplement our things. Yeah, it's definitely uh, some heavy some he- heavy thing going on right there. But all right, Sangeeta, this has been great. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you really feel like is a, r- a really, really interesting or valuable point that you covered in your book? Um, I think we have touched on uh, many aspects of it. Um, I I just wanted to bring up one thing, like um, when I wrote the book, I wrote it from a perspective of keeping it as a fund read. I didn't want to write a book which is like a very, very technical, heavy book where only uh, programmers want to read. I kept it more of a flowing conversational to some degree and also sharing my experiences. So hopefully it is a fun read. And I tried to cover even topics like... Um, Insights, which is a very big buzzword. Everybody wants data because everybody wants insight. When you ask people, can you tell me what is an insight? Most people struggle or you will see very different definitions of what insight means. So my book also covers to tries to say that what is an insight and how Wait, to get there. People don't have the same definition across. Can you, can you tell me if I'm wrong? Oh, um, <laughs> let me get, quiz me, quiz me. So let me see if I know what an insight is. Um, okay, an insight. An insight is kind of a phenomenon in your data where you something. It's it's actually hard to t- talk about it without rooting down on a specific use case. Um, but okay, so if I'm looking at sales data and I notice that you know maybe one state is selling one product more than the other, there might be a regional taste and preference there. So that is a an insight that could drive my marketing and my sales campaigns. Is that? I feel like I'm not just yeah. Actually, that's oh, that's no. tough. See, I made you curious. Go ahead and check out the chapter. Right. You'll find out. Well, just look at your insight. face. You're like, eh, no. <laughs> so I'm going to be like, I'm going to say, okay, read the chapter. You'll. I mean, because that's a commonly misused term because everybody thinks like, oh. I have the data. Tell me the insight as if insight will show up once you have data. So that is the, that's the outlook people share towards insight because it's an overused word. Every article you read online, everything you see, everybody is talking about data driven and insights. Those are two words everyone wants to use. So I try to explain what an insight is to begin with and also the value you can bring in by thinking from that perspective. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on everyone in the chat. I appreciate all the questions. Um, there's a link in the description of this video, or if you're listening to us later as a podcast episode, it'll be in the podcast show notes. 
Um, so go and check out Sandita's book. And Sandita, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Thanks a lot, John, for having me. It was yeah. really a nice chat. And I got to hear a lot about your feedback too, like how you think about ChatGPT and so on. So it was yeah, really yeah. fun. It was a good episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.